0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Just a reminder, if you are interested in any of our spring break trips or our Honduras trip, November the 22nd, that's a Sunday, spring break trips, 12 p.m. in the fellowship hall, Honduras, 4 p.m. And in the youth show. That's going to that's gonna be our first team meeting. A lot of people have signed up. A lot of people are still praying. There is a group of, there, there is a group of you who is saying, I'm going, but you haven't told anybody yet. We need to know officially, please. So be at that meeting on the 22nd of November. Okay, let me pray for us. We're going to begin. Father, we love you. We serve you. We thank you for an incredible morning of worship. Lord, uh, an incredible morning of just considering who you are in our lives. We don't do it enough, Father. And you've set aside Sundays for us as a day of rest and a day of worship. And so I pray we would take this time as we continue in our time of worship now through study of your word to understand your truths. I pray you'd speak clearly to us. And I pray through the power of the Spirit, as always, we will be transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. There's no bad news on the end of this, by the way, but the good news is we're halfway through Genesis. Good, you didn't interrupt. You didn't interrupt with a standing ovation. That's good. That was a little... 50 chapters in the book of Genesis, chapter 25 is halfway. I personally have just really liked this study from a personal perspective perspective studying it and 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 really I've read through Genesis several times before but to delve into it and to study it has been enlightening for me and and it's really deepened my faith in the Lord and I hope you feel the same way but in our study this morning we have come to the point where the life of Abraham is coming to a close Now we've spent a lot of time over the last several weeks studying his life, studying how the Lord worked. We've seen kind of good times. We've seen bad times. We've seen a man at times who's kind of given and sacrificed everything to follow the Lord. And it seems like a chapter later we see a man who's sacrificed and, and forsaken everything to follow his own needs and his own desires. And I don't know about you, but in this study one of the things that I've taken comfort in is Abraham's disobedience. Let me clarify that. I don't say I take joy in his disobedience. But if you're anything like me, and I suspect you all are, there are moments when I don't follow the Lord like I should. There are moments when I make mistakes. There are moments when I literally walk through sin, and I take great comfort in knowing that a man like Abraham, who walked through sin, who failed the Lord time and time again, can still be used to do great things. That's who I want to be. I'm not perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. There will be some point in the future that I will let you down. I promise you, it will never be intentional, but I will let you down. I will make some mistake, but I pray that when I do, I pray that when I fail, I pray that when I sin, the Lord still has a plan for me as he did Abraham. There's great comfort there. And so we've kind of been walking through his life and seeing his faith, and we've kind of understood over the last couple of chapters that As his life is concluding, as it's winding down, as it's slowing down, as we're kind of coming to the end, that the Lord still has a plan. See, the Lord has promised Abraham, he's shown him his faithfulness, he's shown him what he wants to do, and even though the life of Abraham is ending, we're going to see the faithfulness of the Lord now through his son, and eventually his grandchildren, and we saw last week how the Lord was already preparing a way, he prepared his son Isaac, he was answering prayers, he had already prepared Rebekah's heart, and so this morning, we come to the end of Abraham's life, and I want you to understand where we're going, this is important. We're going to take two weeks to cover chapter 25 because what's going to happen is Abraham's line is going to diverge, basically. going to have two different paths, and this is important. I want you to understand this. The first path is going to be found in the latter part of Genesis 25. We'll study that next week. That's the path of Isaac, the path of Jacob and Esau we'll study. eventually leads all the way to Messiah and salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the first path. The second path, the path that kind of diverges and kind of goes off course, so to speak, is the path of Ishmael. From Ishmael will come the Arabs. We'll make this point as we walk through the text. From the Arabs will come the idea of Islam. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say. This is very important. From these two men, Isaac and Ishmael, come worldviews that will affect literally billions of people for centuries to come. You understand that? So if you ever have this notion or this idea that your actions and your thoughts and your obedience level to the Lord now won't matter for the future, you're mistaken. If you think what happens today does not affect tomorrow, you're missing the point. Because from these two men, we're going to see vastly different courses of action, vastly different paths. And because of that, lives are going to be changed for centuries to come. Now, we're going to begin this morning... In Genesis chapter 25, verses 1, we're going to study verses 1 through 18. We'll focus on verses 1 through 8. You can read with me in your Bibles, or I think we have it on the screen as well. Genesis chapter 25, beginning in verse 1. Abraham had taken another wife. Remember, Sarah last week had passed away. We saw that. We understood that. He'd taken another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimron, Jokshan, Median, Midian, Midian, Ishbach, Shua, Jochsham was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Leshuites, and the Leumites. The sons of Midian were Ephath, Ephor, Hanuk, Abadu, Eldah. All these were the descendants of Keturah. Verse 5, Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. That's important, we're going to get there in just a minute, that there's significance there. But while he was still living he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and set them away from excuse me sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of these by the way pause for a second after verse 6 it's interesting to me that Abraham decides while he's still living to give everything he has away Now, maybe there's a sermon in there, but I think it's interesting that he wants to see the blessing and he wants to see the fulfillment of that blessing and he wants to see the joy in the life of his family while he's still here. You can't take it with you, right? May as well give it away before you go. Verse 7, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. An old man full of years and he was gathered to His people. Here's truth number one. As we think about the life of Abraham, of all that God did through him, of all that he accomplished, truth number one, Abraham's life of faithfulness to the Lord comes to an end. Abraham's life of faithfulness to the Lord comes to an end. Now we see that his wife has died. He takes on another wife. He has additional children. He passes away and the scriptures, some translations use an interesting phrase. I think the King James uses the phrase, he was satisfied with his life. The the point there, we see it in the NIV and the ESV and the King James and all these different translations. The point was that Abraham had lived a good life. The more I study Abraham, I've always liked him and and been intrigued by his life, but the the more I study him and and the more I read about how the scriptures remember him, I think, wouldn't that be a great thing for people to say about us? Died at a ripe old age, he had a good life, he was with his family. Kind of all the things that most people would say, if I could kind of map my life out, this is who I'd want to be. So I thought it'd be interesting for just a a couple of minutes to to, to review. I thought this would be a good point and and a, a good opportunity to review just for a minute Abraham's life and all that he had done. Now you don't have to flip back with me, but I'll just call your attention to Genesis chapter 12. That's when the story of Abraham begins in his first calling and the Lord calls him to, to leave. Remember the country he's familiar with and he, and he gives him this interesting phrase. He basically says, leave everything you know behind and I'm going to tell you when you get there. Now that's incredible faith. And then verse 2, the promise the Lord gives him, the original promise to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12 verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And by the way, I don't know if you remember this, one. when I preached through this, we highlighted the I wills. This is all about the Lord. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, there there are all sorts of reminders moving past Genesis 12 of the promise of the Lord. There are all sorts of reminders of his goodness, of all he's going to do. There are several other occasions where he says to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your descendants great. I'm going to do incredible things through you. I'm going to bless you and bless those who bless you. And and your name is going to be great. But I I wanted you to understand something important. Of all the things that Abraham accomplished, and verse 5 tells us that he gave everything he had to Isaac. We know that Abraham was a, a man of great wealth. Abraham was a man of great power, he was a man of clout, he was known, he, would, he had accomplished and great things, but of all the things that Abraham had done, of all the things that Abraham had accomplished, Abraham's greatest gift that he left to his children and to his family was his faith in the Lord, period. Now I don't know about you, but that really resonates in my heart. Because if you were to fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is is known as the Hall of Faith, not the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Faith. Because there's a list in Hebrews 11 of all these incredible people of God that have been faithful. And the thing you see in Hebrews 11 is is a picture of their faith. And so in Hebrews 11 verse 8, do I have that on the screen? Did I bring that up? Yeah, look at this. By faith, Abraham, see that? Not by wealth or possessions or power. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going. Verse 9. By faith, there it is again. He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham was respected, not because of his wealth or his possessions or his status. Abraham was respected and used by the Lord because of his faith. He was remembered because of who the Lord was in his life. Here's the question you ought to be asking yourself. How will I be remembered? Fair question, right? There will come a day when we're no longer on this earth. We've all kind of come to that realization. There will come a day when your children or your grandchildren or nieces or nephews are living long after you've passed away. And so the question we ask ourselves, the question we consider, the question we want to know based on the life of Abraham is how will we be remembered? If someone wrote about you, would they say, we remember him because he was rich or because he was powerful or because he was wealthy or because the organization he ran did really well or because a lot of people liked him or because he was really good at sports or you name it, people are going to think it. Are they going to write that about you or are they going to say that was a man of God who had a deep and abiding faith? That carried him through even the most difficult times. Because here's the thing we have to understand about Abraham, moms and dads, grandmama and granddaddy. Abraham's faithfulness is going to be seen for generations to come. I wrote something in my notes, I want to read it to you. As you think about who you are and what the Lord has called you to be, don't think of your life as simply lasting a few years on this earth. Think about your life as an investment in the future of your family. Hmm. See, we're, we're, we're only giving us a certain number of years. We're only giving us a certain number of breaths. You know your heart is only going to beat a certain number of times and it's going to stop and you're going to pass on from this life. What legacy are you going to leave? What are people going to say about... You, Because we see a man here in Abraham who, who failed the Lord many times. We, we've seen that. We've talked about that. But in, in the end, this is a man who loved the Lord, followed the Lord, was faithful to the Lord, and was remembered because of his faith, and it blessed his family for generations to come. Because, see, it continues beyond just Isaac and, and Jacob and on down the list of the 12 tribes of Israel. It continues all the way to the Messiah. Matthew 1 gives us the genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, right? The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. All the way down to the end of that chapter. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus who's called Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile of Babylon and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Abraham's life was a foundation for what Jesus would one day accomplish. The way that you live now matters. Your faith in the Lord and your trust in the things of Christ will affect your family for generations to come. How will you be remembered? Now verse 9, Genesis 25, we continue. So his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, they're going to come together again. This is an interesting moment. The last time that we're aware of that they're together like this, they buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar, the Hittite. The field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who lived near Beer laha roai Now it's interesting because Abraham is going to buy this place for Sarah to be buried. After he dies, he's going to be buried. It's kind of like he's kind of taking a flag and he's staking claim to the land of Canaan. God has promised us this land. He's brought us to this land. I've lived in this land. Now I've died in this land and I am faithful to the promises of the Lord. He kind of puts a stake in the ground. Now, I want to show you where we're going very simply because this is important. We've seen Abraham. We're going to see Isaac. If if you're thinking about kind of an analogy we could use of a freeway, Abraham's life is rolling down the road. Things are going well, and he's going to continue through Isaac. He's going to continue through Jacob all the way down through Messiah. As he goes farther in life, his faith is strengthened. We've seen that, and it grows. But we're going to see all of a sudden this detour. We're going to kind of walk off the path of promise, if you want to think about it like that. We're going to walk off the path of Messiah. We're going to take a detour. We're going to exit, and we're going to go to a place that we're going to see is going to cost some people. So verse 12, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Ishmael, whom Sarah's slave, Hagar the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael listed in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Adbeel, Mibsham, Mishmah, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tama, Jetur, Nafish, and Kedimah. These were the sons of Ishmael. And these are the names of the 12 tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last and he died and he was gathered to his people. Now here's truth number two. We're going to delve into this and think through this just for a little while. Ishmael will be blessed with many descendants and rulers. That's a promise of the Lord. God says, I'm going to bless you, Ishmael, with many descendants and many rulers. In fact, if you were to back up, and you don't have to look there with me, to Genesis chapter 17, you may remember that when Ishmael is born, Abraham knows the promise. Abraham knows what the Lord wants to do. and So Abraham asked the Lord, will you use Ishmael as the promised son? Will you allow the blessing to flow through Ishmael and through his family? The Lord says, no, I won't. I've got a, a different plan. You're going to have another son. But he says, the Lord's speaking to Abraham in Genesis 17. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. In other words, I know you're concerned about him, Abraham. I've heard you. I will surely bless him. This is speaking of Ishmael. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. Fast forward to Genesis chapter 21, verse 13. I will make the son of the slave, this is him, this is Ishmael, into a nation also because he is your offspring. So what, what we're, we're building this case here, we're seeing that the Lord is going to promise Ishmael the blessing of many descendants. He's going to promise Ishmael all these different tribes and all these different nations and all these different rulers. Now we're going somewhere with this, so just track along with me, okay? If you were to fast forward to Genesis 35, and you don't have to do that, it's interesting, it's interesting. I'm going to quiz you just for a second. When Joseph, will get there, Genesis 35 at some point in the near future. Sometime 2017, 16, will be there, not 17. Not that long. We'll get to the story of Joseph. Joseph is sold into slavery and he goes down to Egypt. Do you remember who bought him? The Ishmael, Potiphar eventually, that's right, before Potiphar, the Ishmaelites. That's what the Bible says. These are descendants from Ishmael. So we see that his numbers grow. In fact, you can read about the Ishmaelites in Judges, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicle, Psalms, and other places in the book of Genesis. They're they're associated with the Edomites, the Moabites, the Hagrites. We see them all through Genesis. We see them in various places of the Old Testament. We understand that Ishmael is going to be blessed. From him will come tribes and tongues and nationalities and languages. Now fast forward several centuries Ishmael and his sons form the basis and the foundation for the Arab people. So let's just see the prophecy of the Lord, right? I'm going to make Ishmael into this great nation with all these descendants. Today, Arabs number over 300 million people worldwide. It's the promises of the Lord. Now, again, we're we're, we're going somewhere with this. But the Lord has promised, I'm going to bless him and make his descendants great. But there's more than just the promise of descendants to Ishmael. This is important. I read you a minute ago, Genesis 17, verse 20, the first half of the verse. I will bless him. I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. Here's the second part of Genesis 17, 20. He, speaking of Ishmael, will be the father of the 12 rulers or 12 princes. And I will make him into a great nation. Genesis twenty-five sixteen. these were the sons of Ishmael. These are the names of the 12 tribal rulers according to their settlements and camps. So we see that not only is Ishmael going to be blessed with great numbers and many descendants, he's going to be blessed with rulers. Now, I've got a whole list here. I don't have time this morning to go into it. You can go through, if you have a Bible commentary or Google, you can, you can look at every one of these sons and understand how, how many of them are known through Scripture study and things outside of the Word of God, historical study. These men are known to become leaders with the, within the Arabic people. This is the foundation of the Arabs, right? We're, we're building the foundation here. Ishmael, his 12 sons, rulers of all these different nations, become the, the, the people of Arabia, the people that today number 300 million people, okay? So we've got a promise to, to bring many, many descendants. We've got a promise to be a ruler. We've got a promise to affect, at this point, hundreds of millions of people through Ishmael. But that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 20, Look at verse 18 of chapter 25. Speaking of Ishmael, again, this is is critical to our understanding of where we're going. His descendants, the descendants of Ishmael, settled in the area from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, as you go towards Asher. And they lived, if you're taking notes, underline this section, they lived in hostility toward all the tribes related to them. That's a clue. Here's truth number three. Ishmael's family lived in hostility to all those around him. Now let me remind you, as you're kind of processing with me and thinking through this, Genesis chapter 16. We're backing up a little bit. Hagar is pregnant now with Abraham's child, Ishmael. The Lord comes to her and the Bible says in Genesis 16, 11, The angel of the Lord said to her, You are now pregnant. You will give birth to a son. You will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Now, verse 12 of Genesis 16, it's going to describe Ishmael. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him. He will live in hostility toward all his brothers. This is very prophetic if you don't know that. Now I want to make a connection here. Let's just connect these dots very clearly. Ishmael's son becomes the twelve rulers. It's a foundation for the Arabs, the twelve princes. From the Arabs come Islam... The Muslims believe that Muhammad, the founder of Islam, was the direct descendant of Ishmael. We're making the connection here. In fact, you can read, if you were to study, Ishmael is recognized by Muslims as the ancestor of several prominent Arab tribes and as being the forefather of Muhammad. You understand that? So we've got these two divergent paths. Now let's just back up and review 30,000 foot. Okay, Abraham, the path of Isaac, the path of Jacob on through the 12 tribes of Israel all the way to Messiah. The clear path of salvation in Jesus Christ. We've diverted off that path now with Ishmael and his 12 sons, the rulers of the Arab nations. Eventually will lead to Islam. Eventually to the point now that there are literally hundreds of millions of Muslims around the world. Now we're covering this... This moment, because we've come to this place in Genesis, this is a a clear indication of who Ishmael was, it's a clear indication of who he's going to become, there's prophecy about how he's going to affect other people, so we we cover it because we've come to this place in Genesis, first of all. But here's the second thing you need to be aware of. Here's another reason we're going to cover it, and I'm going to delve into it just for a few minutes. Islam is coming. You understand that? If they had their way, some of them, not all of them, would do away with Christianity, period. I think we need to understand that. If you don't believe me, just do some research of what's going on in the Middle East right now. I'm not gonna mention some of the groups you're aware of, some of the terrorist organizations and the groups that are taking place and all the things that are happening, but they're targeting Christians. You understand that, right? By the tens of thousands Now, you want to talk about what a veteran has done for you? If it weren't for our veterans and men and women like them right now that stand guard over this country, those same people would be in this church right now doing what they're doing over there. You understand that, right? This is not, and I want to be careful with my words here. This is not really just about world religions. This is about the path of life versus the path of death. It's very clear scripturally. God says, here's who he is, here's who he's going to become. Here's what you can expect of him and his people for years to come. Now, I can't make a blanket statement about everybody. I want to be careful. There are people that subscribe to that faith that are good people. I I, I understand that. But I want to delve in just for a few minutes into kind of the the foundation of of what this religion is. We know now where it's come from. We know of the prophecies. And we know that we need to be warned. So I want to give you some resources. I've got them on the screen. I don't have anywhere close to the amount of time this morning to go into all these, but I've given you four resources. These are all good. I've vetted all these. I've read three of them, and I've been on the other website. These are three books, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, Unveiling Islam, A Wind in the House of Islam, How God is Drawing Muslims Around the World, to Faith in Jesus Christ, all great reads. If you were just going to read one, I'd read the top one. It's just a, It's an easy read. It's a story. It's about a kid who... Grows up in a Muslim home. I've talked about him over the last couple of weeks. Comes to know Jesus Christ. The second one is just facts about the religion, facts about what they believe, how they're anti Christian. The third one, a wind in the house of Islam, it's, it's about how uh, Muslims all over the world are coming to Christ through amazing visions and dreams and miraculous things. It's just first hand accounts and interviews with these people. And then the third one, 4 and I put a dash. That's not the actual URL. You're just going to have to, when you get on the page, go to the world religions section and then the one on Islam. It lays it out for you. It gives you all about the background, the, the real differences between Islam and Christianity. So some resources there. I'm going to delve into it just for a couple of minutes here. I don't have time to do a lot of it. But Islam established in the year 622 by Muhammad. If you don't know anything about him, you ought to do some reading 12 wives, his youngest wife was 9 years old, he was 50. Okay, that still happens today by the way, it's very common today, that's not, a, that's not a thing of the past. He wrote the Quran and he himself said, when he received his first revelations, he believed he was being possessed by an evil spirit. I think that's just very interesting. Filled with inconsistencies. I've got one quote on the screen. It's kind of harsh, but I want to read it to you because this is a man who studied and understands way better than I ever will. What Muhammad produced in the Quran is simply a book of gibberish. Islam is a caustic blend of paganism and twisted Bible stories. Muhammad, its lone prophet who made no prophecies, conceived his religion to appease his lust for power, sex, and money. He was a terrorist powerful words what you need to understand about muhammad is very interesting a native of mecca he got what he believed were the revelations he wrote them down he went to the people of mecca nobody believed him did you know that they they literally kicked him out of the city and so what you would expect if we were kind of thinking about it on our terms we would expect him to go back and begin to pray for those people and witness to those people and ask them to come to saving knowledge in his religion that's kind of what we would expect instead what you see is muhammad leaves mecca He forms an army of 10,000 people and he marches back upon the city to force Islam upon them. Here's how it's described. The Muslim army set out from Mecca on Wednesday, the 29th of November, 629. Volunteers and contingents from allied tribes joined the Muslim army on their way, swelling to a size 10,000 strong. This was the largest Muslim force ever assembled as of that time. He marches and he forces these people to convert. Now something you're going to notice throughout history and even today is that when someone becomes a Muslim, it's not usually because they are given the chance to believe. Oftentimes it's forced upon them. Convert or die. And so we see a religion that, that began with a questionable person with questionable means. There are all sorts of differences. And yet today, it's estimated that 1.3 billion people claim to be Muslim. Now, I don't have time to go into all the differences and all the different questions. and There are all sorts of differences about who God the Father is, about the, the deity of Jesus Christ, about the crucifixion. Muslims don't believe Jesus was actually crucified. Because he wasn't actually crucified, obviously he didn't resurrect from the grave. So there, there are all sorts of differences, but maybe the biggest difference... Maybe the biggest difference is the idea of love versus hate. Although there are peaceful Muslims, to be sure, at its core, Islam is not peaceful. If you understand Muhammad, if you understand his background, if you understand what he did in Mecca, if you understand what's happened all through the centuries, if you understand what's happening now in the Middle East, if you study the Quran, you understand that at its core, it's not peaceful. Convert or die compared to the love of Jesus Christ. It's interesting because Islam says, if you believe, if you don't believe, you're gonna die. Jesus says, if you do believe, you'll be willing to die. It's interesting, isn't it, the differences. Christ says, I've come to give you my life. Acts 4, verse 11, Peter speaking, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So even with all of the false teachings of Islam, it's affected hundreds of millions of people throughout the Middle East, throughout North Africa, throughout parts of Asia. But you need to understand a truth. And I'm going to finish up with this this morning. Even in the midst of the lies and the violence and the confusion, God is still working through the line of Abraham and Isaac through Christ, the true Messiah. He's still at work. There are people who've taken the detour. We see it, I mean, it's just so clear in Genesis 25. There are people that have taken the exit, they've taken the detour, they followed the wrong truth, but God is still at work. And so I want to finish by reading you just a passage of the book I mentioned earlier, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Written by a man who grew up in a Muslim home who went to college and met a young man who was a devout follower of Jesus Christ. And the, and the book really kind of chronicles their life together and their story and their discussions. And I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, how the pendulum kind of swings slowly from this kid believing in Muhammad and, and Allah and, and the Quran all the way over to the things of Christ. And there comes this point in the book where he's been talking about his, his family and he's struggled with his family and how they'll receive him. And there's this point in the book where he accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he's gone now to his family who's still devout. And he tells them that he's accepted Christ. And he just explains how it just, it just tore them apart. It's heartbreaking, honestly. It's heartbreaking. To read what it did to his family and to his mother and, and to his father. And so he talks about that period of time going through that and, and telling them. And after he told them how it broke their heart. And at this point in the book where I'm going to read this passage. He's literally laying on the floor weeping incapacitated. And he begins like this. Why didn't you kill me? I pleaded with God. Full of despair because it was too late. It would have been better if you had killed me the moment I believed. So my family would never have had to taste betrayal. This is far worse for them than my death would have been. At least our love would have lived on. Our family would have always been one. Why God? At that moment, the most agonizing moment of my life, something happened that was beyond my theology and imagination. As if God picked up a megaphone and spoke through my conscience, I heard these words resonate through my very being because this is not about you. I froze with my mouth open. The tears, the sobs, the shaking, everything stopped. I was rooted to the ground. As if electricity had just shot through me and paralyzed me for about 10 minutes, I sat unable to move, unable to close my mouth even. He was rebooting me. When I was able to move, I felt no sorrow, none whatsoever. It was as if my prayers of anguish and self-pity had been words uttered in a previous life. Rising from the ground and walking out of the apartment, I gazed at everything intently. The trees, the sky, even the stairs I stood upon. Yet again, I was seeing the potential of the world in a new light. I had been wearing colored glasses my entire life and they had been taken off. Everything looked different and I wanted to examine it all more carefully. While I was wallowing in self-pity, focused on myself, there was a whole world... With literally billions of people who had no idea who God is, how amazing he is, and the wonders he's done for us. They are the ones who are really suffering. They don't know his hope, his peace, and his love that transcends all understanding. They don't know the message of the gospel. After loving us with the most humble life and the most horrific death, Jesus told us, As I have loved you, go and love one another. How could I consider myself a follower of Jesus if I was not willing to live as He lived, to die as He died, to love the unloved and to give hope to the hopeless? This is not about me, it's about Him. In his love for his children. Now I knew what it meant to follow God. It meant walking boldly in his spirit of grace and love. In the firm confidence of everlasting life through the Son. With the eternal purpose of proclaiming and glorifying the Father. Now I had found Jesus. An incredible story of the work of the Lord through this man's heart. And I just want to leave you with this. God the Father is still at work through the Messiah. He still has plans for you. All you've got to do is follow. Let's pray. Father, we love you and serve you. We trust you. We thank you for just this clear passage of Scripture. This understanding of the prophecies, not only of Abraham and Isaac, that we'll get to, Father, but the prophecies of Ishmael. And so, Father, we pause in our service just for a moment to pray. Father, to pray just very clearly for those that have not yet heard. To pray for those that have been misled. To pray for the hundreds of millions of people around the world who've taken the detour, Father. They've taken the wrong path. And yet we cling to this truth, Lord, that you are still at work. You are still at work in the the son of promise through Messiah, Lord, through Jesus Christ. And so you give us the courage and the strength to help those people that don't yet know to see your truth. To see your hope. And Father, through our faithfulness and through your strength, you do an incredible work for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the chance, as we always do. The altars open. Maybe you need to pray about your walk with Christ, about someone you know who's taken the detour, who's not followed the true and living God. Maybe you need to repent of your sins. Maybe you've been on the wrong path. Christ has been speaking to your heart, but this is your time to respond as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you.